Well, if you guys have your Bibles with you this evening, we are going to be in Ezekiel chapter 19 and 20. Um, again, working our way through the prophet. Some of the things within Ezekiel that I think are so apropos for our time is the reality that the, the nation of Israel, we're going to look at it tonight, the nation of Israel had a, had a history of rebellion against God's declared word. God had declared his, uh, his goal, his purpose, his plan, and the people rebelled. And, and they rebelled for, well, somewhere in a neighborhood of 490 years. And at the end of 490 years, they go to exile. And the Lord is going to use some strong terms. The Lord's going to tell the, the children of Israel, yeah, that's, I'm done with you guys. And he's looking for 70 years of captivity wherein he will bring out a new generation. Now, if we go through the word of God, we're going to see this kind of thing happen a, a couple of different times. You have 70 people that go into Egypt. And they're in Egypt for 400 and some odd years. And then when they come out, there's a nation. And then they're going to go to Kadesh Barnea, but they're going to fail to enter in. And then they're going to wander the wilderness for a generation. And then a new generation is going to come. And that new generation will have opportunity again to enter into the land. And we see a, a bit of a pattern for the nation of Israel. The reason why I think that's important is because I think we are following the same pattern, uh, certainly at least within the, the United States. And so we, we, I think, are entering to a time where, where God would have us direct our attention to the next generation. I think our rebellion against his directives and his direction has brought us to uh, the days we're in today. And so, to me then, Ezekiel has a lot to say as, as I, I just want to hear the message that the Lord is laying out for the refugees. Because that's, that's who Ezekiel's talking to, right? He's the guy, the prophet to the refugees just outside of Babylon. So, we're going to begin in chapter 19. Chapter 19 is a lamentation. starts in verse 1. And you take up a lamentation for the princes of, of Israel. We've seen this before. This is going to be a lamentation about three of the last four kings. So he's going to deal with uh, two kings of the shortest reign and the last king. And this is a lamentation over the leadership that was in place for the nation as the time of exile comes. Now as we look at the exile, one of the important things for us to understand in recognizing it is that through Jeremiah in Jerusalem, Daniel in Babylon, Ezekiel in the refugee camps outside of Kabar, you have a message going forth calling the people to repentance and a people that's hearts are hard and they're stuck in their traditions, they're stuck in their, uh, their own rebellion, whatever it is, they make their own excuses for it. And so the message just continues to fall on deaf ears. And it's, I think, an important thing for us to understand. If, if we think, if you look around in our world today and you're not going, hey, God is up to something. And I would not call this blessing. Uh, you know, the Old Testament says if you walk in obedience to the Lord, he brings blessing. And, and if you rebel, he brings cursing. That's in Deuteronomy. And as you look through and you read it, you, if you look at the things the people were cursed for, I'd say as a nation, we're guilty of them. So, you know, and this is a way that God deals with nations. It's the Lord who raises up nations and brings them down, right? And so we look and we see all these things on the horizon. I just want to have ears to hear what God's people are saying about what we're supposed to repent of where to put our eyes, where to focus. Because I'm not saying that our time is done and there's no hope. I am saying when God calls to repent, we need to listen. 
We need to be aware of it. Now, these kings that we're going to look at, these guys, they're knuckleheads. They're all knuckleheads. The last four kings of, of Judah, <clears throat> three of the last four we're going to look at. So it says in verse 2, and say, here's the lamentation, what was your mother? A lioness. Among lions she crouched. In the midst of young lions she reared her cubs. And she brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion, and he learned to catch prey, and he devoured men. And the nations heard about him. He was caught in their pit, and they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. So the first king, the lioness, is a picture of Judah, and the southern kingdom is called Judah. So this is the portion of Israel. The northern kingdom has already been judged. They already went into to, uh, uh, captivity and judgment under Assyria. So now Judah, the southern kingdom, is being judged. And so you have the, the first of the last four kings of Judah. His name is Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz uh, reigned, but um, he is uh, one, of Josiah's, <clears throat> one of Josiah's kids. He's taken captive by Egypt. Like the scripture says, uh, he will be taken with hooks to Egypt. So with hooks, he's going to be taken to Egypt, and Egypt is going to put a vassal king loyal to Egypt on the throne. That vassal king loyal to Egypt on the throne is the one that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come down and conquer the first time. So when, if you look at the last four kings, we've talked about this before, this is kind of a simplistic way of thinking about it, so it's not precise. You have four months, then a, a king reigned for four months, 11 years, four months, 11 years. That's how the last four kings go. Jehoahaz is one of the four-month kings. He's the first lion that we're talking about, Jehoahaz. Says the nations heard about him. He's caught in a pit, brought with hooks to Egypt. And when she saw that, she waited in vain that her hope was lost. And she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. And he prowled with the lions. He became a young lion and he learned to catch prey. He devoured men and seized their widows. He laid waste to the cities and the land was appalled. And all who were in it at the sound of his roaring... Then the nations set against him from provinces on every side. They spread their net over him, and he was taken in their pit. With hooks, they put him in a cage and brought him to the king of Babylon. So the second king is Jehoiakim. So Jehoiakim is the other four-month king. So we skip the 11-year, the guy that Egypt put in. This lamentation deals with the first guy who reigned for four months, and was conquered, the second one who reigned for four months, and was taken to Babylon, and the last one that, uh, that's put in after them is Zedekiah. Zedekiah is the last, the final king of Israel prior to the exile. Now you can read about these, 2 Kings 23 will tell you about Jehoahaz, if you uh, want to get some of the background on what happened with Jehoahaz. And uh, 2 Kings 24 will uh, give you the background on Jehoiakim and what occurred with him. But the lamentation is over the, the failed leadership of their nation as they're heading into judgment. But just seems a little bit like today. You know, when we start thinking about our leadership, I, I don't know the last time I, I go, woohoo, that, that was a killer leader. Been a while, <clears throat> been a lot of shenanigans going on. So this is a lamentation over the leadership. One of the judgments that Isaiah told to Judah when the northern kingdom was falling, one of the things Isaiah told them was, if you don't repent, the Lord is going to give you infants to lead you. And the idea is that your leadership will be immature, not wizened. And so I would say that is a pretty clear comprehension of at least the last several presidents. So we look at 
this, this reality that they have laid out in the lamentation. Now the lamentation is going to shift in verse 10. It's going to shift. Now we're moving to Zedekiah. And the picture, the metaphor is going to change from two young lions to a vine. It says in verse 10, your mother was like a vine in a vineyard planted by the water. Now this is clear scriptural uh, sim symbol of the nation of Israel. You have it multiple places. Israel is looked at as the vine, the vineyard. We, we, we see these things throughout the Old Testament. So again, so the mother, the lioness, Judah, uh, on a broader sense, the lioness is the nation. The, the vine is the nation that births the king, the king that is going to come. And so it says, this vineyard was planted by the water, fruitful, full of branches, by reason of abundant water, so it was well cared for vine. Its strong stems became rulers' scepters. It towered aloft among the thick boughs. It was seen in its height with its mass, with the mass of its branches, but the vine was plucked up in fury cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit, and they were stripped off and withered. Now, that's the second time in Ezekiel the east wind has been mentioned, uh, refers to Babylon, ultimately to Nebuchadnezzar, who's the one who comes in and through whom the nation of Israel ceases to exist uh, for those 70 years. So we see... The east wind coming down, drying up the fruit, stripping it off, it's withered. And as for its strong stem, fire consumed it. Now the idea of the strong stem, the, this is the last king, and the last king ultimately is going to be judged by God. If you remember, we looked at this last time uh, we got together and we talked about the proverb that the Lord said, you guys need to stop using this proverb, you remember? where your fathers ate sour grapes and your teeth are falling out because the idea that they had was it's our dad's fault. They messed it all up and now we're having to suffer for our dad. And what we're going to see in chapter 20 is that is not true. Did your dads mess up? Yep. And you followed right behind them and did the same things generation after generation after generation. So we see this fire, this judgment from God on that last king Zedekiah, um, the fire is going to consume it. It is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land, and fire has gone out from the stem of its shoots, has consumed its fruit, so that there remains in it no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. So the idea is that this is a prophetic lamentation Ezekiel would would uh, sing share with the people one of the things that we recognize is if you remember we'll see it when it happens in the book of Ezekiel when the nation uh, when Jerusalem is finally conquered the last group of exiles will come to the refugee camp and confirm the things Ezekiel's been talking about for the time that the refugees have been there since Ezekiel and the people will recognize him as a prophet. And we'll see even in chapter 20, obviously they know that Ezekiel is speaking for the Lord because they're going to come to inquire of him. One of the things that we know about Zedekiah, Zedekiah was placed on the throne by Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this, Zedekiah made a pledge, a vow, to Nebuchadnezzar by the name of Yahweh. He offered sacrifice and pledged his loyalty. So when he rebelled, God withdrew wholly. And ultimately, God said, you swore by my name your loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar. And if you remember, we talked about it. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 5, what do we know about Nebuchadnezzar? Through the, through the witness of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar comes to know who God most high is. And so when we see that, when, ne when Nebuchadnezzar comes down and he says to Zedekiah, okay, I'm going to make you king now, swear by Yahweh, 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar knew who that was. And God held Zedekiah accountable for making a vow that he did not keep. And so that judgment comes on Zedekiah. At the time of Zedekiah, Jerusalem's destroyed, temples destroyed, cities destroyed, walls destroyed, just a pile of rock. That's all that will be left after that final conquest in 586 B.C. That's all that will be there. Now in chapter 20, we have the people coming to Ezekiel. They want a word from the Lord. Look at what he says. <clears throat> Ezekiel 20. In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire the Lord and sat before me. So you have elders, the elders of Israel that were taken in captivity. These are guys in a refugee camp. We've talked about this. They didn't have no cell phones. Nobody in, in Kibar, in the refugee camp, was calling anybody in Jerusalem. So you're not getting any word until more slaves arrive. That's when word will come. But they've seen and heard from Ezekiel. They are acknowledging that Ezekiel is a prophet of God. And they're coming to inquire of the Lord. They want to inquire of the Lord. Now, here's one of the unique things when people come to inquire of the Lord. The Lord knows why you're there. So it's kind of hard to, to, to pull the trick, you know, like, well, I really, want to, I really want to seek the Lord. And I want to know the Lord. And God's never fooled by our, our false humility or our false dedication. He's, he doesn't buy it. Nor does he buy it here. They come to inquire of the Lord. <clears throat> and so as they come, it says in verse 2, The word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel. Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is it to inquire of me that you come? Are you here to inquire of me? You guys wouldn't even be here if you listened to Jeremiah back in Jerusalem. Remember, that's where Jeremiah was. This whole captivity, the, the only captivity that had to happen was Daniel's. The rest of the captivity was a result of man's rebellion against God's word. So you have, you have these guys gathered there before him, and the word of the Lord comes, and, and the Lord says, You've come to see me as I live, declares the Lord. I will not be inquired of by you then he says to ezekiel will you judge them son of man will you judge them let them know the abomination of their father so the lord's going to explain why it is that he says you're I, i'm not here for you to be inquired of don't come and inquire of me one of the things i think it's important for us to recognize is there are times where god delivers his word to his people and then his people go back for another word. And God's like, I give you the word. If you do that, we'll worry about something else. But if you're not doing that, the word has not changed. There's, not, there's nothing new coming. What was the word of Jeremiah? Repent. What was the word of Ezekiel? Repent. What was the word of Daniel? Repent. Have you repented? No, we haven't repented yet, Lord, but we want to inquire of you. No, God, that's not going to happen. It, what, was, what was required of the people was to understand their guilt before a holy God. And anytime we talk about salvation, anytime we talk about uh, these ideals, we have to start at that point. Someone doesn't get saved if they don't know they need a Savior. When people think that, that they're basically a good person, that's a horrible place to start. And so the Lord's going to rehearse their history. He's like, okay, let's rehearse the history. Uh, uh, Ezekiel, you be the judge and uh, let them know the abominations of their fathers. Now, you remember we talked about that proverb just a couple of chapters ago. Our fathers ate sour grapes and we're being punished for it. And, and basically the Lord is going to answer that proverb to the elders of, of Israel there in the, in the refugee camp. And he's going to rehearse their history for the last 490 years. 
and their heart of rebellion, his grace, his mercy, their rejection. His grace, mercy, their rejection. His grace, mercy, their rejection. So now when they stand before him, the Lord says, yeah, it's, I'm done. This is, it's payday. This is, this is the day. This is the time. And so we have this drawing together. He says in verse 5, here's the, the choice as God draws Israel out of Egypt. He says in verse 5, say to them, Thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. Now what he's talking about is there's a moment under Moses where God reveals himself to the nation of Israel in a way, in a deeper way than he'd ever revealed himself to Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. So you have the patriarchs who know him as El Shaddai, who know the Lord by uh, God Most High. It's Moses that God reveals himself to as Yahweh. I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. The Lord will declare to Moses, no one else has have I revealed my name. To you I have revealed my name. And so the Lord is saying, in that day when I reveal myself... Because the only way for a sinful people to know God is for God to reveal himself. You're not going to find him. We don't find him. He reveals himself to us. We're darkness. He's light. If we're bumping around in the darkness, you're never going to find the light unless somebody turns the light on, right? And that's what the Lord does. He turns the light on. And so he said, on the day that I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, but uh, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt, I am the Lord. So you're going to hear this phrase over and over again. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. No other gods before me. Right? Everybody knows the Ten Commandments. Yes? So I pass out a test. Everybody will pass. Of course. Right? So knowing and understanding and recognizing, right, that there is no other God. He is God. There's no graven images that we're to make. We're not to take the Lord's name in vain. Right? There's... We're to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. First four uh, commandments of the Decalogue are focused on our relationship with God. And this is what he's talking to about the people. I want your faithfulness. No other idols. We've talked about this before. Nobody gets married and says to their wife, well, you can have boyfriends. I don't mind. Or the people who do, that's not marriage. That's something else. All right. So, and this is what the Lord is saying to the nation when he called them out. You're going to be my light to the world of who I am. I have revealed myself to you. You're going to be the, the implement through which that light is shared with the rest of the world. And I want you to be faithful to me. And so he's, he makes this call to them. Every one of them, turn away from your idols. I am the Lord. What's it say in verse 8? But they rebelled. That's another phrase you're going to see repeated over and over and over and over ad nauseum. They rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on. Nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Oh, Jackie, what are you talking about? Come on, you remember Mount Sinai? God comes down on Mount Sinai and speaks in the hearing of the people the Ten Commandments. They hear the voice of God speaking from the mountain, the Ten Commandments. The people freak out. Oh, this is kind of scary. Moses, you go talk to God. So Moses packs up, says, okay, and he goes up and talks to God. What did they do when he left? We know the story, right? They made a golden calf. 
And they said, this is the God who delivered us. Now, the Lord just spoke, right? No graven images. Don't make any images of me. None of the images you make are going to work. No images. And what did they do? They heard God, his voice, and they made idols. The Lord said, you didn't turn away from the detestable things. They were a part of you. They did not forsake the idols of Egypt. So I said, I will pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. So the Lord said, that's it. I'll just wipe them all out. The wages of sin is what? How many times? Occasionally, every once in a while. The wages of sin is death. The Lord says, I'm going to wipe them all out. But look at verse 9. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it would not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So what did God give? Mercy. Okay, okay. Mercy. Grace is extended Though the people are guilty. Now he goes on, verse 10. So I led them out of the land of Egypt. So he took them out of slavery, right? Did he feed them every day? Did he water them every day? Did they ever get sick? Nope. Not once. The Lord watched over them the entire time they were in the wilderness. Now listen, verse 11. I gave them statutes made known to them my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths. I want you to see that word is plural. This is not only talking about Sabbath, the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Remember the, the, the seventh day, Saturday, the Sabbath day, was a day that the Lord said, I'm making a pledge between me and you, the nation of Israel. This is a pledge between God and them that you would remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But there was, more than, there was more than just day seven involved in that. There was something called the sabbatical year, the Sabbath year. Every six years, the Lord would make sure that they had enough crops so the seventh year they would take off and let the land rest. Same deal for slaves. Same deal, there, you know, there was a year of jubilee once, uh, uh, once per lifetime, per person. Every 50 years was a, was a year of jubilee, but there was limitations on, on all of these things. They were all part <coughs> of the Lord's Sabbath, including all the high holy days, all the Passover. When did Passover get instituted? The people were taken out of Egypt. Passover was part of that, Right? Passover, the wandering in the wilderness, the Feast of Tabernacles, all of these days are the appointed days, appointed feasts or Sabbaths. So these were to be honored by the people as a sign between me and them. I don't want you to miss that. This is not a sign between God and all the Gentile nations. This was a sign between God and Israel. This is a deal. He, this is the, only, the only one he says this about. This is me and them. This is me and them, a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Who, what's God doing? He's making them holy. He's helping them grow. He's chastening and, dis and, and disciplining and raising them up. Verse 13, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. And they did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules. By which, if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths, what's the word? They greatly profaned. Historically, most, uh, most commentators and scholars will say that for 490 years of their history, they never participated in a Sabbath year. Because they're just like us. If you had a year in your business where it blew up and you got double what you had any other year, you probably wouldn't take the next year off, would you? And neither did they. Well, we got a banner crop. It'll be better even next year and better and better. So the land 
never gets the rest. The Lord says they greatly profaned my Sabbaths. So he said, then I said, I will pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness and make a full end of them. Well, what's, what's earned? What's earned in the disobedience, unfaithfulness, rebellion? Well, the Lord says, I, I'll just make an end. I'll start over on Mars. I'll go someplace else. We'll, we'll try them. Maybe, maybe the Martians are better suited than the humans. I'll make a full end of them. But I acted for my name's sake that it would not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. So though they rebelled, the Lord had mercy and he extended grace. Stories go on. Verse 15. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would bring them into a land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, uh, the most glorious of all lands, because... Uh, or that I would not bring them into the land because they had prof- uh, did not walk in my statutes or profane my Sabbaths, for their heart went after idols. Was the bottom line, they were not faithful to God. They always wanted something else. It was not about him. They, they, they were fine with having him be a part. You know, he could have, let's say, Sundays. Oh, maybe they went, they, they were real overachiever, and they said the Lord could have Sundays and Wednesdays. But then I get the other five. And the Lord said, you're always going after idols. You don't, you're just, you don't want me. So the Lord said, I'm not going to take you in. The generation, right, that came to Kadesh Barnea and was not willing to trust God, God said, We're going to stay out here in the desert until you all die. Did the Lord feed them every day? Yeah. Did he water them every day? Yeah. Did they get sick, diseases? Nope. The Lord watched over them just like he did everyone else until that generation all passed and the next generation came up and that generation he's going to bring them into the land. Verse 17, nevertheless, my eyes spared them I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. So God still took care of them, right? Grace and mercy. 18, I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. Keep my Sabbaths holy, and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know I am the Lord your God. So come walk with me in the cool of the evening and I'll take care of you. Let's go. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes. They were not careful to obey my rules by which if a person does them, he will live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said, I will pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them all, had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them among the countries because they had not obeyed my rules, but I rejected my statutes. They had profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were set on their father's idols. The whole point of chapter 20, as we rehearse their history, is yes, your fathers sinned, and you did the same thing, and your children did the same thing, and your children did the same thing. And your children did the same thing for 490 years. Over and over again, we have this. Now, the Lord said, here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm laying out for you. And but I don't have time tonight to get into it. But in, I want to say it's in Deuteronomy. I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. Uh, the Lord told them at the very beginning... All the way back to Egypt. We jumped all the way back in history back to Egypt. The Lord said, 
if you won't follow these rules and obey my commands and walk with me and be faithful to me, then I am going to scatter you among the nations. Where are they at the time of exile? Well, they're scattered in Babylon. 150 years before that, they were scattered by Assyria. In 70 AD, they were scattered by Rome. From 70 AD till 1948, they were scattered everywhere. And I would argue that they are still scattered. For while there is at least a nation called Israel in, once again, in the world from, uh, from, from 48, uh, you have, just so you're aware, more Jews in New York than you have in Israel. And when you talk about the Lord drawing his people back to the nation, it sounds different than, I'm going to bring a few. There's a day that will come before Jesus Christ sets on his throne where the nation will lift their eyes and call for their Messiah. And I think Jesus is going to answer that call. But that's not today. Today, not even 10% of the population in Israel is believing in anything. More than 90% of the population of Israel professes to be atheist. So I have a hard time doing the fulfillment of prophecy, the rebirth of a nation that is almost wholly secular. <clears throat> so this was a, a warning that God had given your eyes are on your father's idols. Moreover, listen, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules that could not, uh, by which they could not have life. At this moment, in verse 25, uh, Ezekiel chapter 20, you have what Paul refers to in Romans chapter 1 as turning people over. So the Lord said, I let them go. Go after your idols. If you remember, <clears throat> at the time of Daniel, the time of Ezekiel, the time of Jeremiah, the Lord even told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, stop praying. I'm, I'm not coming. I'm, there's no delivery. There, this is judgment. <clears throat> the judgment is coming. The king is coming. He's bringing that judgment upon the nation the Lord had spoken. He, the people were wholly given to idolatry, wholly given over to the multitude of false idols and false worship. And this is what he's referring to here in Ezekiel chapter 20. I gave them statutes that were not good. What do we know about God's statutes? He says his statutes are good. What did he, what has he said multiple times as we worked our way through? His statutes, if you followed them, you would live. They are statutes that bring life. We talk about this in the book of Proverbs, right? The book of Proverbs gives us contrast. That's how Proverbs works. What's the contrast between the fool and the wise? Fool says there is no God. The wise, what? He is following the Lord. And so the one following the Lord, that path leads to life. The fool, that path rejecting the Lord, that leads to death. You have Two paths, and the Lord, through the book of Proverbs, is calling his people to walk the path of wisdom, to hear the call of their God, beckoning them to follow him. And so in 26, he says, And I defiled them through their very gifts in their offering up all their firstborn, that I might devastate them. So the children of Israel, we know at the time prior to the Babylonian captivity, and there are some scholars who say it was happening still in Kabar, uh, in Babylon, among the refugees, they were sacrificing their firstborns. They were offering up their children to Molech 
They were burning their children at the altars. The Lord said, this is what did what he say in Romans. I gave them up to a debased mind to do the things they ought not. Now, if, if that's what was going on in Ezekiel 20, what would you say about our nation? We got to be winning the, the numbers game. I don't even know. People just use the word 50 million all the time. So if the blood um, of Abel cried out to God when there was one person's innocent blood, what's 50 million sound like? And then what if, if, we, if we broaden that and realize that we as a nation are the perpetrator of that practice globally? That's us. There's not somebody else doing that. There's not some other nation that's taking the forefront of that. No, we at one time had a secretary of state that, that, that made it her primary goal to make sure that abortion was available in every nation around the world. Our tax dollars at work. The Lord said, I gave them up to do <clears throat> these things. I, I defiled them through their very gifts and the offering of their firstborn. For what purpose? That I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. So ultimately, they're going to they're going to um, face the exile. That's what's coming. We're, we're reaching their time, the time of the elders that are standing around uh, Ezekiel. And as they're reaching it, Ezekiel rehearsing their history is going to provide uh, that judgment for us tonight. Uh, he wants them to know the reason you're here in a refugee camp is because of your rebellion against God. And it's been going on a long time. In Leviticus 26, Leviticus 26 lays out for us five cycles of discipline that God would bring against a nation that was disobedient and deliberately uh, rebelling against him. Five cycles. These are the five cycles from Leviticus 26. First one, loss of courage. Second one, loss of power and strength. Third one, loss of domestic and public tranquility. Fourth one, loss of national peace and prosperity. And the fifth one, loss of freedom. Which one would you say we're on? <clears throat> God gave over the nation of Israel to judgment, not for their destruction, for what purpose? He gave them up, loss of freedom, into exile so that a generation would rise up. A generation that said, we're going to break the chain of failure that was our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers and our great-great-grandfathers. We're going to break this system of failure that we've caught ourselves in, and we are going to wholly seek the Lord our God. So in 70 years, the, the numbers, the estimates of the, of the size of the exile um, vary. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure we can absolutely nail it down. So I'm, I'm going to use fictional numbers just so you can get a relation. Let's say 50,000 between the three exiles are, are who's the exiles. They're the only people who live through Jerusalem. The rest of the people die either by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. 
uh, because they ultimately won't listen to Jeremiah who tells them just surrender. So 50,000 go into captivity. 70 years later, you have Ezra and Nehemiah. And the Lord begins to stir in the heart of Nehemiah. I want to go back and rebuild. And so the call goes out. And 5,000 young families leave Babylon. And whatever they grew to in 70 years, the rest stayed there. They did not get up and leave by, in mass. They did not flee. They said, okay, we kind of like it here. We kind of like the way things are going. In verse 27, he says, Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say, Thus says the Lord God, In this also your fathers blasphemed me by dealing treacherously with me. For when I had brought them into the land that I swore to give them, then whenever they saw a high hill or a leafy tree, they offered their sacrifices there, presented the provocation of their offering. There they sent up their pleasing aromas. They poured out their drink offerings. This is the practice of idolatry on every high hill. I said to them, what is this high place into which you go? And so it is called Bama to this day. Bama just means high place. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after detestable things? These he's speaking to the elders that are there. When you present your gifts and offer up your children in fire. You hear what he said? He's talking to refugees. When you present your gifts, offer your children in fire. You defile yourselves with all your idols. What's it say? To this day. And shall I be inquired of by you? Remember, they came to inquire of him. O house of Israel, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What is in your mind shall never happen. The thought, let us be like the nations, like the tribes of the countries, and worship wood and stone. God says, that's never going to happen. Never going to let that take place. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples. Here's the promise. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you to pass under the rod. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 25 that talks about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. You guys remember hearing about it? Those who will enter into the kingdom and those who will not. I will make you to pass under the rod. I will get rid of the rebellious, the wicked. Does God know how to reserve the wicked for judgment and the righteous into his presence? This is what he's promising as for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you as idols now and hereafter if you will not listen to me. So you don't want to do what I've asked. Go hang out with your idols. But my holy name you will, not, you will no longer profane with your gifts and your idols. You don't get to inquire of me. You don't get to use my name. You want your idols? Go to your idols. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God, there all the house of Israel, all of them will serve me in the land. Now, he's talking about all that are really of the house of Israel, right? He's not talking about everyone who says they are. Any more than everyone who says they are a Christian is a Christian. We get that, right? 
every pastor on TV is not spouting the truth. So when we look at it, he's laying out, hey, everyone, the whole house of Israel, they'll be with me. There I will accept them. There I will require your contributions, the choices of your gift with all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you. When I bring you out from the people, gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations, and you will know I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give your fathers. There will be a day when Christ as king has a united Israel, united under him, with him as king. That's the millennial uh that's a millennial age the time of christ's kingdom that day this is what he's referring to not 1948 1948 a nation was birthed out of guilt over the holocaust but none of them are or very few of them well i would say no very few very few of them are are calling uh for messiah uh, and particularly for Jesus as Messiah. He says, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, the country I swore to your fathers. And there you will remember your ways and your deeds with which you have defiled yourself, and you will loathe yourselves for all the evils you have committed, and you will know I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds. What is it that God's talking about there? There's a day, uh, Zechariah talks about it, when they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. The people will weep and cry out for their Messiah, who they recognize has been Jesus Christ, that he's the fulfillment, that he was crucified. And then he says, on that day, I'm not, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you mercy. That's what salvation is all about. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you for this time that we have, that we can go through the book of Ezekiel to comprehend with all the saints, what is the height, breadth, width, and depth of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have. We thank you that we can be gathered in this place, Lord. And I pray, God, that we would understand, that we would, that we would hear, that we would hear, Lord, the, the cry of God to a nation where he's saying, why will you be destroyed? Just last week, he said, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would repent and live. Live, Israel, the call, repent, turn, stop. Stop with the bad decisions. Stop with the rebellious attitude. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. God, we thank you for your word and for this time we can spend together. In Jesus' name, amen.